find the courage to actually expose those fears because the more times you expose those fears, the more you will control the fear and the fear will no longer control you. everybody, welcome back to Tales from the Journey. I'm Stephanie Zamora and today we are here with William Branham, who is the founder of Naked Warrior Recovery. And William was a former US Navy SEAL for 26 years, which is a very long time. And I'm very excited to share his story and his journey with you today. And I personally have had some amazing experiences with CBD, which he's gonna talk a bit about as well. So William, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, I would love to start with you sharing a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. I'm a retired Navy SEAL. I spent 26 years in the SEAL teams since I transitioned. And I tell people that, you know, transition from military life to civilian life is the hardest military mission I've ever been on. And I'm still on that mission. And I've done a lot of stuff over over my time in the in the military. So now I am the founder and CEO of a little CBD company called Naked Warrior Recovery, where we make high quality CBD products supporting veterans, first responders, uh, stay at home moms, soccer dads, whoever needs a little bit of assistance. We're here to help, and we also do a little bit of coaching and really talk a lot about the get naked mindset that I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. We always start these interviews going back to kind of the beginning of your journey, and I know you have shared, and I saw this on your website as well, that you wanted a career that kept you active and kept you outside. And so right out of high school, you joined the service. So I would love if you could share just kind of your mindset back then and what really drove you to join and kind of what your hopes were for the future. I grew up in a little town outside of Meridian, Mississippi. We were very poor. Fortunately, our my grandparents, they could help us out. But for sure, I was, you know, poor white trash back then, but I was heavily involved in the Boy Scouts. And I went on a, on a, a national jam to a national jamboree that the Boy Scout organization that I was a part of, they paid for for me to go because we certainly couldn't afford it. And I always knew that I wanted to be part of some sort of elite military small unit organization. I didn't know what that was. I certainly didn't know the word elite, I don't think back in the day. But you know, I, I met a kid and he was like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to be a, an F-14 fighter pilot. And I also am going to be a, a Navy SEAL. And I'm like, what's that sounds cool. What are those things? I mean, I understood what a, what an F-14 fighter pilot was. Didn't know what a Navy SEAL was. He's like, it's the hardest military training in the world. They jump out of airplanes, they blow stuff up, they sneak around in the woods, they scuba dive, they do all these other things. And I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. And so I came back from that national jamboree and like probably the next day I think the Navy recruiter called my house and said hey have you ever thought about joining the Navy my grandfather was in the Navy my dad was in the Navy there was no way I was ever gonna join the Navy they have the ugliest uniforms there's a naval air station in the town that I grew up in those kids act like a bunch of idiots there's no way no way I'm ever gonna join the Navy maybe I'll be a Marine because the the commercials for like the Marine Corps they were like fighting dragons with shields and swords and they have a cool-looking uniform or or maybe I'll be an Army Ranger or a Green Beret or something like that. Or maybe I want to be a ninja when I grow up. I still kind of want to be a ninja because that just sounds cool. <laughs> but I, so I joined the Navy. I became a SEAL. I was kind of, you know, once I, I actually joined the Navy before graduating high school. So I, I joined the Navy in the, the summer between my 11th and 12th grade of high school in what's called the delayed entry program. And then graduated high school. And like a week after I graduated, I was off the boot camp and I was not really ready to go. I was like, whoa, this is all of a sudden very real. I don't, I don't know if I can do this. But I, I went to boot camp, started my Navy career. I just sort of assimilated into the process. I eventually became, I went to SEAL training, which was difficult for me 
me to get to because the first time I took that SEAL screening test of push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, run, and a swim, I actually failed the push-ups part of it. So that kind of set me behind on my path and it ended me on a ship in Yokosuka, Japan for 24 months where the Navy said, we understand that you want to be a SEAL, but we're not going to let you go because we don't really need those people that much. We really need people with this school that you went to. So we're, you're, we're not going to let you go become a SEAL. And so it really took the chief of naval operations. And for people who don't know who that is, that's the most senior guy in the Navy or person. The only people more senior than the chief of naval operations is the secretary of defense and the president of the United States. And the CNO, chief of naval operations, came to my little ship in Yokosuka, Japan. He didn't go to any other ship. He just came to my little ship. And there were like 15 ships there. And he's, you know, sort of gave his vision of the Navy. And then he said, does anyone have any questions? And I raised my hand right away. And he called on me. That was the second person he called. He's like, I joined the Navy to become a Navy SEAL. And this was before the internet. This was before cell phones. This was before like, like anyone really knew what a Navy SEAL was. I didn't even really know myself. I joined the Navy to become a Navy SEAL. My, my detailer says that he's not going to let me go. He says, I'm too critical to the Navy. I think I deserve a chance to go. What do you think? And he was like, hmm, okay. He turns to my commanding officer and he says, hey, is he a good guy? And my commanding officer says, yes, he was the sailor of the quarter this quarter, which is kind of like employee of the month. And so he turns back to me and he's like, check, you'll be in the first class after your time on the ship is up. Six weeks later, I'm off to California to, to go to SEAL training. So there was like, you know, transition from, from there to, to SEAL training. And that took me a short 13 months to get through that six month block of training because I got injured a few times, but it was, it was, you know, it was a rough go. And then eventually I got myself into the SEAL teams. I taught sniper school for a while. Then 9-11 happened. And then we just started deploying uh, overseas and doing the things that we do over there. Eventually my time was up after 26 years. They're like, okay, you've been here long enough. It's time to go. And I transitioned to whatever I am today. I'm still working that out. Charles, still figuring that piece out. <laughs> wow. I love that you just raised your hand and you're like, Hey, <laughs> this is what I want to do. How do I make that happen? But before we dive more into your story, I have to go back for my own personal curiosity. What changed your mind about the Navy? Uh, no other organization had the SEAL teams. Gotcha. And I would, I heard that they were the best. So <laughs> why would I want to go to second best? I want to be part of the right. best, you know, and, but I also didn't have a, the self-limiting belief of maybe I can't do it. I thought, mm. how hard can it be? Well, it's, it's mm. pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty hard, but it's, but it's totally doable. Anyone can do it. Where do you think that mentality for yourself came from? Because a lot of people, and I only know about the SEALs, and I'm sure this is true for a good handful of people from, you know, hearing David Goggin's story and reading his book and like understanding how intense the training is from that. But where did that come from? Not having like any doubt in yourself? I think I just have never been a quitter. I've never really quit on anything. I think I, I know that I came from humble beginnings and I knew that I never wanted to be like that. And so I wanted to be better than me. I, you know, it's funny. I was not a good student in school. At, at the end of my SEAL career, I was diagnosed with ADHD. And they're like, oh, uh. you didn't know this? I'm like, I just didn't think I was very smart. But I still took, you know, like the AP classes and, and I was always trying to be wanting to be better. My ability to study or do that work, I, I mean, I passed the classes, but I mean, I had like a 2.3333 GPA. I'm smart. Like I've done like neuropsych evals and they're, they're like, your, your IQ would be really high, but your attention is like at the bottom or it's like at the top of like attention deficit. Yeah. And I remember trying really, really hard on those. Like on a, just a regular day, if I was just like going in and taking the test, I would probably score lower, but I wanted to do really well on the test. And they're like, yeah, your IQ is, and it drops. And then attention drops. 
and then <laughs> problem solving, and then it drops for attention. And I, and I was like, oh, okay. So I could have a high IQ, but I'm not. So it is what it is. So I, I've always wanted to be better, but I have had self-limiting beliefs probably because of some of the struggles I had in school. Like people just made things look easy. In the in mm -hmm. the in SEAL training, people made it look easy. Like they could run effortlessly and swim and fly around the obstacle course and do all these things. And they were like natural leaders. I struggled at everything, but I always knew that it was a struggle and I just had to work harder than everyone else. And I, that was, I was okay with that. And that's just how I live my life. I just try to work harder than everyone else because I know that's what I have to do. That makes sense. What was SEAL training like for you? I had a blast. I learned a lot about myself physically and mentally. I learned that I can push myself further than what I think I can. Going on a, on a run on the beach, and this, they're not like a little jog on the beach. <laughs> There's, there are consequences for not keeping up. And so I got hurt several times, but it was, SEAL training was, it was very hard and it was rewarding. But you know, when I finished, I was like, okay, now what? What do I do now? But that was my next transition in, into the SEAL teams. But I also was kind of like, I just graduated the hardest military training in the world. What else is there? And then I get to the <laughs> SEAL teams and I realize that you're expected to perform better today than you did yesterday. And that's why they say the only easy day is yesterday. And so I had to like, it was a new transition, a new set of obstacles that I had to overcome. And there's a lot of, you know, people think that it's, it's very, it's physical. It is very physical, but it's very mental also in the SEAL teams. It doesn't matter how the, the hardest events that ever, that I ever experienced in, in SEAL training, the things that I've done in the real world, the discomfort that I've gone through, the unknowns in the real world, just pale, like SEAL training pales in comparison to some of that stuff. Just because in training, you know that an event is going to end. It doesn't matter how long you're jackhammering uncontrollably out in that frigid Pacific Ocean. You know that it's going to end. I know that like in an hour, I'm going to be back in my bed. I'm going to be in a hot shower and, and, and in bed. Or even during hell week where you don't sleep for five and a half days and they keep you up and they keep you moving and you're running around with the you know a nice coat of sand on your body it's very exfoliating i think it's like you know beautifying exfoliating uh so it's therapeutic and that we do some uh you know some some cryotherapy there in the in the pacific ocean to make sure that we don't have too much inflammation and so you're cold you're wet you're miserable you don't sleep but still even during that event for five and a half days you know that they're going to feed you four times a day so it doesn't matter how much it sucks how bad it is all you have to do is make it to the next meal and then you get a little break and then you start over and then make it to the next meal in real life it's not like that in real life, in things that happen, there are no instructors. There's no like training timeout. There's like, oh, this is real and this is scary. And this is like, uh, can we go home already? Can this be done? No, you don't get a vote at this point. So I, I think SEAL training is absolutely necessary. Just and it's and it really is the, the minimum requirement for preparing someone for the things that we have to do sometimes. So I know from reading your bio and doing a little research on you and your company that some of the things that you struggled with, it sounds like during and after your service were things like depression and pain and anxiety and other issues that came up. Can you share a little bit about some of the experiences you had that started those symptoms coming up? Yeah, so I would say that not everything that I, all the noise that happens in my head is, it's not all from work. There's a lot of stuff from work, but other parts of it are from toxic relationships that maybe I should have gotten out of much sooner. Those will eat, eat away at you, especially if they keep coming up and they just Definitely. keep coming around. I found myself, even while on active duty towards the end, so much noise in my head. I couldn't go to sleep at night. I couldn't turn down the noise enough to relax and not think about things. And so what I ended up doing is I would just pretty much drink myself to sleep at night or rephrase that drink until I passed out and then get up the next morning and have to perform. And then when I got out of the military, it was like that huge transition. In the military, I still had a team 
badass team. I had an organization that supported me and I supported them and we kept lifting one another up. Even if you didn't feel like doing it, you're expected to perform anyway. So that was awesome to have that accountability. I had a badass mission. I had a purpose. I When I went to bed at night, I still knew what I was going to do the next day. I knew why I was going to do it, how I was going to do it. And so the day that I retired and I use air quotes from the military, it was like I lost everything in my life. Yeah. I mean, I still had family. But I lost like my mission, I lost my purpose, I lost my team, I lost, it was like, if you've ever seen the, the movie, The Avengers, where Thanos like makes half the world's population vanish, go away, and like you're having dinner with your, with your family and then there's no one there anymore. And it was kind of like that. And yeah. like, so that was additional stress, anxiety, depression, whatever you want to call it. And I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't have the coping skills. And I wasn't brave enough, certainly wasn't brave enough to ask for help. CBD was something that helped me turn down the noise in my head so that I could have better better, a little bit better self-talk and kind of get my life back in order. And then what I say is water boils at 212 degrees. I was probably living at 210 degrees. And so it didn't take much to push me over into that boiling point. The smallest trigger from whatever it is. Over time of taking CBD, I went from like 210 to 205 to 200 to 195 to 190. So I got out of that red zone and into more of an orange zone or maybe a bright yellow zone, but I didn't notice it right away. Like I took it and I was like, maybe I sleep better. I don't know. Maybe. I'm less pissed off. I don't know. But at the end, after I took that first bottle, I was like, it kind of did a self-assessment. I'm like, was this really worth it? I mean, it was fine because someone gave me my first bottle of CBD. So it was, it was, it was okay. It didn't cost me anything. And then I started getting closer to that boiling point again. So I tried a different brand and I had similar results. And now I'm like, why, how do I, like, I want to be part of this industry. Like it has had such a positive impact on my life. I want to share it with other people. I was at a business conference and I met a girl in the CBD industry and, and then I kind of tracked her down after she kind of talked about some of her stuff. And I was like, cause really I was, I wanted to be part of her team. It sounds like you're doing awesome things. Like hire me, let me help spread the word and learn more stuff and have cheap CBD <laughs> internal monologue. And she was like, well, do you want to do A to B, B to B or B to C? And I was like, I don't know what those letters are. <laughs> I want to do C, B, D. And she was like, okay, check. Well, why don't you start your own CBD company? And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And she said, you're a Navy SEAL. You can figure it out. <laughs> so I asked if I could have my man card back. She gave it to me. And then she explained, you know, a little bit about the industry. And I started doing research and I found that it's an extremely dirty industry. So my goal at the time was to provide the highest quality CBD on the market. I believe we still are doing that because the industry is it's so dirty. There's like companies that they don't have CBD in their product. They don't have the CBD. There's high levels of THC outside the legal 0.3% according to the farm bill limit. High levels of heavy metals, mercury, arsenic, lead, pesticide, all sorts of crap in there. I was like, that's, if you're putting like something in your body to be air quotes here, medicine, then you don't want to be putting a bunch of poisons in your body. So that became my mm -hmm. initial mission was to deliver the highest quality CBD on the market. And, and now our mission is still that what we're adding to it. And it's to prevent veteran suicide because, you know, we've lost more veterans to suicide than we have in 20 years of sustained combat. And my dad, as I was actually on a podcast a few months ago and with two other SEALs and we're just talking and, and, you know, kind of getting to the, to the, that kind of 22 a day metric. And then I was like, yeah, and my dad is one of those 22 a day. My dad was in the military and he took his own life. And so I was like, oh, this is even a more personal message to me or mission to me to really end that. And so I talk about CBD, but CBD was, was a modality to help turn down the noise in my head. And then it allowed me to have more positive self-talk. It helped me to like start a company. It also helped me to like figure out what the get naked mindset is. And, and really what that is, it's about really taking your ego off and setting in the corner and being a little bit vulnerable, kind of exposing yourself so you can find a healing that you actually need. Find the help. Be brave enough to ask for help yeah. if that's what you need. So 
That's powerful. And I have so many things I want to talk about from that. <laughs> to start, I want to go back to when you came out of the service. So something that we talk a lot about on the show and in my journey mapping process is this idea of reorienting. And so you've been through a big life transition. In your case, that's what it was. And all of a sudden, everything known and familiar has fallen away. And you're left with yourself and you're trying to reorient to who you are in the aftermath and who you're becoming and what your life is and what your work is. What did you do? What what did your life look like when you were first out of the service? Were you doing other work? Were you just kind of trying to navigate life? Like I know you said you had a lot of the like the heat and the anger and the noise in your head, but what did your life look like? So I started a consulting company. So my last three years in the military, I was a science and technology advisor for the command. So basically what I would do is we would have these operational deficiencies where we couldn't do a mission because we didn't have the technology, we didn't have the capability to do it. What I did is I, I took those deficiencies that we had, there was no money associated with like fixing those. So I went out and I found organizations that could potentially create technology that has never existed. And then I went out and found $16 million of other people's money to create technology that never existed before. My plan was to get out and continue that work, but just doing it on the other side where companies pay me to introduce them to a military organization, introduce their technology to someone, and then find money to bring it up to meet the requirement, the military requirement. And so I have the Rolodex for it. I had the connections for it. But what I found is companies didn't really want, I use the word consultant, I guess, too many times. And there were too many other air quotes, consultants that came in front of me that may or may not have provided value to some of these companies. So they had a bad taste in their mouth for the word consultant or the title. So I learned very quickly not to use that anymore for different companies. And they just wanted me to like, why don't you work for free, sell our product, and then we'll pay you a commission. Well, first of all, your product sucks. <laughs> it doesn't meet any, it's just a, you're happy with it, but no one else is. And you want me to sell it and travel around and meet people and, and you're not gonna pay me. That's a, that's a problem. So I continued down that road and I ran into brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. Failure, failure, failure. I had some pretty good successes also. I had a plan or I thought I had a plan and it just wasn't working. I didn't execute it as, as violently as I should have, or I feel I should have. I could have done it a lot better, but that's because I didn't truly plan to, I didn't have a really good plan and I didn't execute yeah. it as well as I should have. And so I've actually come up with some strategies for, for life transitions to help people transition through life. And, and really it's, it's, it's really basic and I should have known this before, but it's really just kind of some military decision or I'm sorry, military mission planning process. Like, mm. what do you want to do? And then build a plan around it. Just because you have a plan and this is what your mission is, doesn't mean that that's what your final like outcome is going to be. But right. at least if you have a plan in place and you have practiced the plan and you've maybe briefed the plan to your family or to other people, it starts to form a little bit better. And as you go through that process, maybe you practice the plan. And that's something that we do in the SEAL teams is where we'll do, we'll have a mission. We're getting ready to go do the mission. Before we go out the door, we'll go and we'll get the vehicles out. We'll get our radios. We, we don't need guns because we're just walking around, but we'll practice saying the, the pro words, the, the communication calls that we're going to make. Okay. We're, we're leaving the gate. Okay. We pass whatever that word is over the radio. And then so everyone gets to hear it. Everyone gets to see it. They get to experience it before we actually do it for real. And we do this before every single mission, 98% of the time. Something happens on the mission where we have to come back to the plan because we have contingencies built into the plan. And every point of that mission, there's a transition. And those are the things that we practice. We don't need to practice how we're going to enter the room or the things that are going to actually happen on target, but we'll practice getting in the vehicle, where you're going to sit in the vehicle. That seems so basic, but it's those little things get messed up. 
And if you don't right. practice them, practice the basics, then those are the things that will get messed up in your life. You know, even down to relationships, just practice the basics of being in a relationship, doing acts of kindness or whatever. Going back to kind of these life transitions, just practice these, these basic things because we drive to a target, we practice getting out of the, the vehicle and getting in line in the order in which we're going to patrol to the target. And then when we get to the target, we practice, okay, target secured, like we pass all the radio communications. And then we say, okay, we're going to get back in the vehicle. There's a specific way that we're going to do that because we want the vehicles to be in a certain place in a certain order. So there's no like get out and like run around at night under night vision goggles to kind of show you what it's like to be in night vision goggles. Yeah. If you have like two toilet paper rolls and you put them over your eyes, you can't see anything else. Only what you see through the toilet paper rolls. That's what it's like working at night on night vision goggles. So, you know, coming out in like what vehicle, 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 okay, which vehicle? I'm in vehicle five. Okay. And maybe the turret gunner is like saying five, the vehicle five, vehicle five to make it easier so we can get off that target and not get ambushed while we're in those transitions. Cause that's when we really are the most vulnerable are during these transition points in our life. So it's like building up the basic skills and practices and yes, habits. Yes, exactly. So if you have the basics dialed and you get ambushed in whatever way that is, maybe we have a global pandemic that we have to adjust and people lose their job and whatever. Have some sort of plan in place, some sort of contingency so that you can at least navigate and have a, an idea of where you're going to go and how you're going to do it if what you're doing right now doesn't work out. And that's that's just part of the mission planning, the life transition yeah. practice is like have contingency. What if? And I'll always ask what if. I'm very good friends with Rob O'Neill, the guy that ended that guy in, in Pakistan, Bin Laden. I was talking to him one day and he was like, yeah, we were sitting around and like the most junior guy was like, what if the helicopter crashes in the courtyard while we're doing the assault? And they're like, okay, we, we should have a plan for that. And guess what happened? Helicopters came in, <laughs> landed, and then one of them crashed. Like it was weird yeah. turbulence because they didn't practice with the with the walls. And so they had a, a plan for that. So if you always ask, what if? What if, you know, this job doesn't work out for me? What if someone dies? Everyone dies, but it's, it's hard. So at least have a plan in place. What if this person isn't right for me? What if I meet someone amazing? Right. Be willing to let your guard down for the right person to come into your life, what, whatever it is. But just having some sort of a plan and then think about contingencies. Always thinking about those contingencies on how you can transition from one thing in life to another, but always have a plan so that you have a guiding light, at least something to deviate off of. What I love about these interviews is everyone has a different perspective because we all have different life experience and personalities. And it's so helpful to people because there's someone who's going to resonate with someone else's approach to big life transition and someone who's really going to resonate with yours. And I resonate with, I do this automatically because I've lived through a lot of my worst, like my worst case scenarios. And so when I'm, when I'm worried about something or I'm doing something new or I'm scared or it's like this big risk, my brain automatically goes to worst case scenario and I flush out, okay, if that happens, here's what I'll do. And then I refocus on here's what I want and here's where I'm going. But doing that for me, and I, I know this isn't true for everyone, but for me, it like soothes the part of me that's like, everything could go horribly wrong and is anxious about it. Cause it's like, no, I've thought about that. This is the worst that could happen. That's what happens. Here's what I'll do. Like it's figure outable and I'll figure it out from there. So I, I resonate with that of, it's not that we're focusing on the worst case, but it's like, right. we're addressing the fact that things could go wrong. And if that's the case, here's what I would do. And now that I'm comfortable with that possibility, I can refocus on what it is that I want. 100%. Yeah. And so you, you brought up a good point there where people, maybe they don't want to focus on, they don't want to think about worst case scenario. That's okay 
But the other part of get naked is, is it, you know, I talk about, you know, taking your ego off and being a little bit vulnerable. You know, maybe it's vulnerable to change, but vulnerable to healing. I also created an acronym that naked stands for N stands for never quit. And I don't mean like never quit smoking or drinking. I mean, never quit on yourself, never quit trying to improve your life, never quit. If you started a project or a program or something that it was like hard and kind of stressful and it's going to be a challenge. If it was important enough to start, then it's probably important enough to take it all the way to the end, whatever that looks like. And that's really what Never Quit is about. The A is accept failure because failure has been the greatest teacher of my life. Having those failures and learning those lessons from the failures, I look at failure as success. That's a lesson learned for me and that's my foundation for success. The K is kill mediocrity because technology is awesome, but it kind of makes us lazy at times and we forget that we actually have to not be mediocre. We have this ego thing that makes us wanna not do the things that we need to do. So I tell people to compete, compete in kindness, compete in generosity, compete in gratitude, and then start competing against your ego because that's the war that you're losing every day and I lose it all the time. The E is expose your fears. And I don't mean the fears like lions and tigers and bears or snakes or spiders, I don't like those guys, but the fear that lives in the back of your mind, those thoughts that kind of come out when you're alone in your car and they are just completely consuming you and you're having an argument with yourself and there's no one around and there's no real good reason to have this argument or have all these things flying around. There's a bunch of different ways that you can sort of approach that. And one of those is a friend of mine, he says that fear does not exist on paper. When he has those moments of like, I don't know what's going on in my life. I can't handle this. He'll pull over to a Starbucks, get a cup of coffee, and he'll take a pen and a piece of paper or a pencil. And he'll write down, not on his phone, not anything else, write it down on a piece of paper. And he'll read those things that are bothering him, those things that are scary to him. Basically be able to take control back. That fear was controlling him and now he's controlling the fear. People who are afraid of the what if, and like it bothers them, it's better to like find the courage to actually expose those fears because the more times you expose those fears, the more you will control the fear and the fear will no longer control you. And the D is to do the work. We're a society of instant gratification now because you can order ice cream on your phone and have delivered from Amazon or if it were a world of TikTok. We like instant gratification and we forgot what it's like to do the work because none of it is instant. You know, there's a saying that Rome wasn't built in a day, but I guarantee you it was built every single day until it became an empire. And that's the way that we need to live our life is, is to always looking for that next challenge, always putting in the work, not expecting instant gratification, but when awesome things happen to us, we're ready to receive the reward for that. That's beautiful. But you got to keep working on it. Yeah, that's powerful. I love that. Thank you for sharing all of Thank that. You. Speaking of courage, you talked earlier about, I think you might have said you either didn't have the courage or you weren't brave enough to ask for help. And then when you were sharing your story, you talked about how somebody gave you a bottle of CBD. So I would love to know, was there a point that you started talking about what was going on for you and asking for help? Or did somebody else see it in you? I think that was my first kind of ask. I was having lunch with a former teammate of mine and he seemed like he had all of his stuff together. He, he didn't, but more than me for sure. And we're like, we're all a work in progress. We're all figuring it out. We're all trying new things and just trying to move forward and do great things in the world. After lunch, I was like, it was awesome seeing you after like 20 years or so. I'm going to see if I can find some CBD here in Virginia, because maybe what you have in Virginia is better than what we have in Hawaii. And he was like, you want CBD? I've got some back at the house. So because he's kind of an Instagram influencer and so a company gave him some, so he gave me a bottle and then that was the beginning of my journey down this road. But it was the first time of kind of asking. I had started the journey 
and I had seen enough people that I looked up to ask for help. And I was like, maybe I should be brave enough to ask for help. But it's hard when you come from, you know, an, an organization where you need to compartmentalize everything. You can't show weakness or you'll be eaten by your peers. Weakness is not something that we ever talk about. But then I remember there were mentors of mine that went and started asking for help and started like being public about that. And I was like, oh my God, I felt I was afraid for them. But then people didn't turn on them. They looked at them and respected them and respected them more. And I was like, that's interesting. And I saw more and more people start doing that. So I became braver, brave enough to start at least admitting to myself that I need to start working on me and, and making a better version of myself because I'm not in a good place right now. It's hard to do. It's hard to ask for help. It's hard to even, I think, own a lot of the time what's going on for ourselves. So I think even people who didn't spend 26 years of their life in a culture that was designed around not showing weakness, you know, for very good reason at times, that it's just, it's hard for people to name, like we're taught to be strong and to be stoic and to present yourself like you have it all together. And and especially men and the masculine, you know, to not show any weakness, it's not okay to cry. I think it's really amazing that more and more men of all different walks of life are stepping forward and sharing their struggles and talking about how they've gotten help because it's needed, it's necessary. Yeah, that reminds me of a quote that I, I saw one time. I posted on, on my Instagram feed a little while back and it was something like, asking for help isn't doesn't show weakness, it actually shows strength. And I was like, oh. Absolutely. That's powerful <laughs> if you think about it like that. Oh, I, like, I've been afraid to ask for help or show weakness or I'm calling it weakness in any way pretty much my entire life. And now I'm like, it's a complete turn on the way that I've always thought. Like, don't show weakness. Don't be vulnerable. It's okay to be vulnerable sometimes. I mean, yeah. there's there's times where you need to be hard and you need to be get after it. But there's other times where you need to like turn it off and take the ego off and take that armor off that we wear around and, and be vulnerable and, and ask for help. The courage that it took for me to do that was so much more than like going into harm's way. I would love as we kind of come to a close for you to share a little bit about what it was like for you to start this business that you've grown. Because I know you said earlier that you met the woman, you asked her, well, how do I get into CBD? And she was like, well, you were a Navy SEAL. You could figure it out. But it's true. For a lot of people, when you have this big vision, especially when it comes to starting a business or a movement and getting a message out into the world, it's really intimidating when you're just at the start because you don't know what to do and you don't know all the moving parts and pieces and you don't understand marketing and you have to put yourself out there in so many different ways. So I would just love if you could share a bit about your journey from that moment to where you are today. You know, I, again, I'm still figuring a lot of that stuff out. So I met her at a business symposium. It was interesting. The guy who gave me that first bottle of CBD, he was a keynote speaker. So I got to attend the event for free, which was awesome. And I got to attend all the VIP parts of it. She was actually putting CBD into kinesiology tape. And she's like, how do I market this? And and they gave her kind of a path forward because CBD is according to social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, you can't run ads because it is a air quotes here an illicit substance still, even though it's federally legal and whatever, there's lots of different versions of it out there. So you do need to be careful with what you get. But starting down this road, I was like, I don't know. So I Googled how to start a CBD company. And then I just started researching and watching YouTube videos and looking for suppliers and manufacturers and things like that. And then I'm like, okay, I had to like get a good credit card and get my first order, find products that I liked that worked well for me and then okay now build the business and 
marketing, like I was just mentioning, as a CBD company, I can't do it the way that other people do it. So number one, I had to figure out my, my mission, my purpose, and put that out there in the world. And it has been a, it's been a pretty rough road, but I also went out and, and I hired coaches to help me, sort of like, how do I do this? Because these are my roadblocks. And because they've been through a lot of these, not exactly the same transitions or lessons learned, but they're, they have enough experience in the world of entrepreneurship to help guide me along. And so one of the ways that I'm able to market without any interference with social media is I get on podcasts and I tell my story and I talk about my company. Sometimes a podcast host may not wanna talk about CBD very much, that's totally fine. I'll talk about me, I'll talk about the get naked mindset, I'll talk about how to think about things differently, how to transition, how to live life at the highest possible way that you can. Change mindset, helping veterans. And so the number one way that I market is I get on podcasts and I share. I have a unique background and hopefully people wanna hear a little bit more about it and then I can share my experience. If you're on my email list, every week you get some sort of like SEAL lesson learned that you can apply to anywhere in life. That's you know one of the ways to, that I've been able to do that. Every day, I'm just like scratching and clawing and trying to like get ahead and because I have to have like, yep. if I become mediocre, then I might as well close shop and just get a regular job and not be able to help as many people. One of the last things that we talk about before we you know share where everyone can find you and how they can work with you is what's something that you wish you had known earlier on in your journey? And maybe that's when you started having symptoms show up from injuries and all of your experiences or when you were transitioning into civilian life again. But what's one piece of advice that you wish you would have known? I, I wish I was more brave once upon a time to either ask for help or to, when I saw something that wasn't quite right, to do something about it or address it at the time. It's easy to kind of compartmentalize or to like ostrich syndrome, stick your head in the sand and like ignore things that are bad going on around you. That's easy to do because we don't, we, we, me, I don't want to face that because there's going to be conflict. There's going to be issues. There's going to be repercussions. And uh, once upon a time, a leader that I worked for, he said that bad news doesn't get better with time. So you might as well face it right now because it's the true. longer <laughs> things go, it can get worse. So you might as well address it as early as possible. I think that would probably me be brave enough, put your ego out of, the, uh, get out of the way, be brave enough to do something about whatever those things are in your life that are going on. Mm, I love that. Well, we're going to link to your website, to everything that you do in the show notes, but please tell people where they can find you, how they can work with you and how they can learn from you. Okay. I'm going to give two websites. The first website is not necessarily CBD related, but it's really talks about the get naked mindset. And that's the website is the number five sealsecrets.com, five sealsecrets.com. But if you're interested in CBD, the website is nw-recovery.com or you can type in nakedwarriorrecovery.com. I originally made it nakedwarriorrecovery.com, but then I thought maybe people don't wanna write naked into their search engine. I'm not sure why, <laughs> I just have a hunch. I, so you can still type naked warrior recovery in and get to the website, but uh, nw-recovery is the actual URL for the for the website. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a discount code for your listeners to save 20% on awesome. any of the products that we sell. And so I'll make it journey 20. How's that? 
Perfect. Journey 20. Well, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story and everything that you've learned and everything that you've been through. And also, I didn't really get into it, but CBD is something that has helped me with my anxiety after trauma and loss. So I am a big advocate for it if it's something that works for people. Like, it's just such an incredible product. I mean, it can help with so many things. So thank you so much. Journey 20. We'll put that in the show notes as well. And yeah, just thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you bringing me on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today and for being a part of this powerful community of purpose-driven individuals. We have a ton of free resources for you at www.talesfromthejourney.tv free, including access to my signature process for how to make the impossible happen, packaged in a simple, easy-to-follow workbook that you can implement immediately. Whether you're trying to heal in the aftermath of a challenging chapter, working to uncover your purpose, or going after anything else that feels impossible, you'll learn how to take an entirely different kind of action that goes against much of what you've been taught about manifestation and goal achievement. We'd love your help in getting the message out and growing our community. So please take a moment to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. I'll catch you in the next episode.